Good evening, everyone, and you're listening to Hour 4 of Pacifica Radio News Live coverage of the 2018 midterm elections. I'm Oscar Fernandez here in Washington, D.C., joined by Abby Roberts, and I'm also here with Ernesto Arce, who's in Los Angeles with KPFK as well. And once again, we are in the middle of live coverage of the 2018 midterm elections. Um, Ernesto, can you hear me? Yes, I can, Oscar. Good to be on. So right now we don't have any headlines at the moment, nothing groundbreaking yet, but we will have them before the end of this particular hour. Quite a lot to cover at this particular hour with regards to a discussion, regards to democracy, and of course immigration as well later in this in this second half as well. So again, once again, I'm here joined by Avery Roberts and quite a lot that we've seen in the last few, few hours. It's been almost... Um, you know, quiet in D.C. as soon as everyone voted, and now all eyes and ears are on are on television and, of course, on Pacifica Radio, checking to see the latest on what's going on. So how have you been seeing it, Abby? Um, I've just been hanging in there. You know, I definitely am focusing a lot of my personal attention on our local elections here, um, from city council members down to the ANC, and that's something that's probably going to be too early to call until tomorrow. But um, still, still riding the wave, and I agree with you. It's quiet has settled over downtown D.C. this evening, so I think everyone's just kind of hunkering down and seeing how it's going to turn out. Okay, so right here at this moment, right now, I just got handed to me some reporting from NPR reporting: Florida restores felons' rights to vote in a key ballot initiative. Florida will restore voting rights to citizens convicted of certain felonies after they have served their sentences, including prison terms, parole and probationary periods, AP has projected. Approximately 1.5 million people are currently barred from voting in the state because of a past felony conviction. All right, Florida. Mm -hmm, absolutely. At this hour, Democrats have picked up four seats in the House and lost one seat in the Senate. Uh, let's see. So thus far, at this moment, Washington Post is uh, reporting Mike Braun, uh, Republican, has denied Senator Joe, Senator Joe Donnelly, the Democrat from Indiana, a second term the AP projects. Also earlier, Democrat Amy Klobuchar wins the Senate seat representing Minnesota over Republican Jim Newberger. So these are just a few of the headlines. Um, Ernesto, um, over in the West Coast out in the front, any, any, anything, um, anything new that we should be aware of thus far? Well, as you may or may not know, the polls are still open for another hour here in California. So, you know, people are still actually um, uh, arriving to the polls. We haven't, we won't hear anything about any official results until about 8.30, 8.45 or so. But, you know, there are a lot of exit polls out there that are suggesting that, you know, the voter turnout was uh, just a little bit uh, higher than average. And we're also just, uh, you know, trying to keep uh, our eye on uh, very important races across the United States. Um, we were just uh, checking up with some updates from the New York Times. Robert Menendez, the Democrat, wins the U.S. Senate seat in New Jersey. The L.A. Times is saying that Rick Scott in Florida, uh, the Republican for Senate, is leading on a razor's edge with 60,000 votes um, out of over 7 million votes with 90% of precincts reporting. The Republican challenger for Senate in Indiana, Mike Braun, is leading over Joe Donnelly by 11% with 53% of precincts reporting. And um, a few other reports that we're getting from the Associated Press, Democrat Joe Neguse in Colorado's House race is leading over Republican Peter Yu by 13%. What that 
uh, race only has 15% of precincts reporting. And of course, um, one, uh, one case that a lot of us here among Pacifica KPFK listeners have been very excited about uh, Democratic Socialist Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, AOC as her followers uh, uh, call her, leads nearly 80% against uh, Republican Anthony Pappas with 20% of precincts reporting as um, one of the WBAI reporters had mentioned that might just be a technicality. Uh, AOC is uh, well, expected to uh, to win that easily. USA Today predicts that Democrats have won two key races to win House majority in Florida with Democrat Donna Shalala and in Northern Virginia with Democrat Jennifer Wexton. And um, in Ohio for the Senate, uh, Democrat Sherrod Brown is projected to win over Republican Jim Renacci with 50% of votes and 47% of precincts reporting. In New Mexico, CNN projects that Democrat Martin Heinrich, Heinrich rather, leads Mike Rich by 23%. And Democrats are currently projected to get 37 seats thus far with Republicans at 44 seats. 19 more seats are still to be decided tonight. Uh, another um, contest I'm looking at here is the Associated Press reports that Democrat Tom Carper will win Delaware's Senate seat at 60% over Republican challenger Robert Arlett, and that's with 95% of precincts reporting. So um, there's still a lot of uh, a lot of races yet to be decided tonight, and we're keeping a very close eye. And of course, in Texas, um, with Beto O'Rourke and um, mm-hmm. uh, and Cruz, uh, that's still a neck and neck um, battle. I mean, it seemed that we were reading some of the the polling from earlier this week, as recently as last week, um, uh, Cruz had a 11% lead over uh, O'Rourke, and now that, I think, over four or five days ago, that slipped to about 4%, and then last night, it, they were neck and neck going into um, uh, polling locations opening, and of course, we're seeing that um, some of the early results are saying that they're also neck and neck, about 49 to 50 point something percent so that's really really close uh michael flores our producer here with the kpfk news is following some of these uh um some of these races how much precincts do we have reporting on that uh o'rourke and uh and cruz race well speaking of texas i believe we have right now on the line uh sofia sepulveda on the line from san antonio texas sofia can you hear us yes i can hear you so can you give us a quick update if you can about uh, the latest that's happening in texas right now it's timely that we have you on so all eyes are in texas at the moment well right now i'm actually at the watch parties for battle or work which is packed with a lot of people and um we just saw that the um the campaign went down a little bit uh from the game that it was happening earlier so we're hoping that it keeps that it keeps on going up and down and at the end of the night, of course, Beto takes the seat. So, well, what's the what's the mood like there? Are uh, are people, uh, you know, it was a hard fought battle, and um, and people are very excited. I I saw a lot of coverage of his campaign in, in the last few days. Of course, I think he went back to El Paso today to vote in his home district. Um, what's what's the um, you know what's the atmosphere like at that uh, watch party? So far, I mean, the atmosphere is pretty animated. Everybody seems pretty positive about the, the outcome of the center race. Uh, this is the closest we've seen uh, the center race from uh, Democrats uh, trying to see an 
Republican incumbent. So it, we're pretty hopeful. That people are pretty excited about um, the outcome of the elections. Uh, it seems that uh, one of our people that is running for Congress, you know, it is Jones, actually is is gaining ground um, against Will Hurt. So we're hoping that the momentum captures the Beto um, race, and we actually take on the seat as 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 far as I, uh, as of now. The Bear County elections just uh, released a statement saying that people are still on the online waiting to vote for uh, for the race, which is pretty amazing. This is the highest turnout we've had in the midterm election since a long time now. Maybe you can tell us also about a, another Latina state senator, uh, Sylvia Garcia, who is. Um, um, likely to take over from a, a white male Congress member in Texas, Representative Gene Green, who had served 13 continuous terms. My goodness, 13 terms. Wow. Um, what do you know about Sylvia Garcia? I am, I, as, as I'm a resident of San Antonio and an organizer in San Antonio, I'm, I, I have not very well kept up with other races besides the races in San Antonio, but I mean, well, I, 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 we feel the momentum is with Beto O'Rourke at this moment, and therefore a lot of people are, are, are riding his coattails in order to win the, the race. Sure, sure. So that um, the excitement over that race has kind of spilled over, and um, you, you had mentioned something about high voter turnout in Texas. Do, do you have any uh, figures for us about uh, you know what, what the percentage of voter turnout is and how many registered voters have come out? Um, as of now, uh, for what we've heard, um, it, it certainly surpassed the 2014 midterm election, and it certainly surpassed the 2016 elections as well. So we're hoping, we're hoping that we can we can take we can take um, we can take the seat, right? I'm sorry. Um, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of commotion. So, yeah, we can hear that. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds exciting. Sounds yeah. like you need to get back to the party. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Sofia Sepulveda, so, you know, thank you for giving us your time here. I know that there's it's a lot of excitement there, but, um, but yeah, you know, we'll see how, how it ends at the, at the end of the night. Uh, we're hope, again, we're hoping that we can take the seat uh, as far as another one of um, the public and just give us seat. Uh, somewhere in the north, uh, up north. So we're hoping we can take it now uh, with the battle momentum. Well, once again, thank you for your time, Sofia Sepulveda. And once again, you're listening to live coverage of the 2018 midterm elections on Pacifica Radio News. And right now, um, Ernesto, I believe we're joined right now over the phone by both Pat Humphreys, who's a singer, songwriter, and activist on the phone, and we also have, oops, hold on, Francis, Francis Moore LaPay, who is the author and co-author of several books. Um, one, one of them mainly is um, Daring Democracy, Igniting Power, Meaning, and Connection for the America We Want. So first of all, thank you, thank you very much for being on with us, uh, Pat Humphreys. Great to be with you. And Francis Moore LaPay. Thank you. So quite a lot to to talk about with regards to what we're seeing unfold right now again you know things are developing even as we speak right now but pat um want to ask you um you know 
where does democracy go from here? And one, one of the things, and you could, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it shouldn't just end with what we're doing today, which is casting a ballot, you know, every two to four years. There's quite a lot more to do with, with, um, with regards to where, you know, the U.S. democracy goes from here going forward, regardless of whether, what the results are. Because, you know, even if results sort of go in a certain way that people find favorable, that doesn't mean that, you know, the struggle for democracy, you know, ends there and we should sit on our laurels afterwards, correct? Exactly. You know, democracy has really never been only about the vote. We know from the very beginning of the creation of this country that, you know, many people couldn't vote, weren't even considered eligible uh, to vote. So the voting is just really one piece of it. It's and there's all kinds of activism on the ground, electoral activism, you know, all kinds of things. All, all those levels of things need to happen in order for the, the largest number of voices to be heard. Thank you so much. And, you know, another question I have for you guys um, about kind of the state of democracy is right now we're seeing a unique point in U.S. history or U.S. present where a lot of the people who are out here casting their ballots or ballots rather are doing so with the intention and the hope and the goal of restricting the access of other people to things like democracy. What does that say about the state of the de- of democracy in the United States right now? That's the that's the issue is that you know democracy has never it is not a democracy unless we demand it. Um, you know, we're going down to Nogales, down to the border in a couple of weeks, um, because um, the folks that are trained at the um, at the U.S.-Mexico border are, are being trained at the School of the Americas in, in Georgia mm-hmm. in the, those, you know, torture kinds of techniques and stuff like that. And it's really, it's, it's been the people who are willing to be out there uh, in the streets that are, you know, and and amplify the voices of the people that are living on the margins uh, that really create a more representative, more participatory uh, democracy. If I can just uh, interrupt uh, Pat and Francis uh, for just a second, we've got um, uh, what's possibly a surprise in, in one in one important race. CNN is called the Kansas Gov- the Kansas governor's race for the uh, Democrat Laura Kelly defeating Chris wow. Kobach. And uh, wow. Dems are yeah, doing better in New York and Pennsylvania in terms of uh, pickups for the House, according to The Guardian um, of, 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 of UK. Uh, it has the Dems up seven in the House. They need uh, 23 seats, of course, and Daily Cause has them up by 11. So that's uh, um, a Democratic takeover of, of, of the House so I guess maybe there is a, a little bit of a blue wave, <laughs> of a blue wave, uh, maybe not the one that was anticipated, but um, uh, you know we'll, we'll see how things go as the night progresses. And um, yeah, that's Laura Kelly with 51 percent to Chris Kobach's 40 percent, with 48 um, percent of wow. precincts reporting. But of course, CNN has already uh, called the race for um, for the Democrat Laura Kelly, and that's um, you know that that changes things a little bit in the national picture of. Um, uh, you know, in the in the, uh, the battle between uh, Democrats and Republicans on on this election night. Um, back to the conversation with Pat Humphreys and and Francis uh, Moore LePay, if I got that correct. Um, mm-hmm. 
again, you know, there's just so many things to talk about in a night like this. And um, uh, many people saying, well, this is really a um, this is really the American public uh, voting on on the Trump administration, voting on what the Trump administration has done uh, or rather undone in terms of environmental protections, in terms of, um, you know, attacks on immigrant communities. Um, what do you think, you know, I, I think uh, um, Oscar made a, a good point about, uh, I, I, I remember seeing a meme being shared over the last few days that it's very important to go out and vote on Tuesday, but it's just as important, if not more important, on Wednesday to come out and continue the struggle for, for social justice and to continue organizing and to, and to continue fighting for the things that matter. Um, tomorrow is a new day, regardless of uh, how the uh, breakup in the House and the, um, and the Senate breaks up. But um, what what are some of those concrete things that people can continue doing tomorrow, the day after the election? And that question to either Pat or Francis. Well, I'd like to jump in here because I, mm-hmm. I've been really focused on the what I think of as democracy reforms. Uh, uh, yes, it's, these races are very, very important. Certainly, COBAC being defeated is extremely meaningful, but... The democracy reforms, there are 14 states that have significant items on the ballot that have to do with re- uh, redistricting, to make that fair. And, uh, right. But the biggest thing that has happened in, for democracy tonight, in my view, is in Florida, where they have passed a constitutional amendment that requires 60% of the vote to re-enfranchise 1.4 million Americans, 1.4 million people who have paid their dues to society, they were, uh, they committed a felony, but they completed their sentences and they still could not vote. Now they will be able to vote. So that is not only, I think, great for uh, them and the state of Florida, but really for all of us, because I think that can have national consequences. Most definitely. I think here in California, we called that the check the box um, uh, campaign uh, with wonderful groups like All of Us or None, different uh, uh, post-institutional, post-prison reintegration uh, grassroots organizations that were really behind uh, California uh, moving towards uh, what they called banning the box, um, in which case uh, when people are applying for either a job or housing, they no longer have to check or they're no longer asked, uh, are you previously a felon, which, as we know, in most cases would disqualify them or discredit them from um, from that position or that housing unit or whatever that opportunity might have been. So that's that's great news in Florida. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I know that there's um, the Deborah Wasserman Schultz um, uh, race that we were also uh, keeping a close watch on with the um, the 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 self-described Bernie Krat um, uh, going up against uh, a very former power role, a very former a very powerful member of the the DNC and the Democratic yeah. Party, and um, mm-hmm. you know just so so much going on across the country. Well, what other races? You know, you, you mentioned uh, this um, reenfranchisement of 1.4 million mm-hmm. Americans. What other mm-hmm. uh, smaller races that we might not be aware of? Again, you know, uh, Oscars in in D.C. I'm here in in Los Angeles, California. So many things going on between our two stations. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm also impressed that Michigan, I, I think I mentioned earlier that they're 
now 14 states with significant democracy reform initiatives on their ballots tonight. And Michigan, it looks as if uh, what has uh, been approved there is a redistricting to fight gerrymandering as well as to implement same-day registration and automatic voter registration. This could enfranchise <laughs> a lot more people in terms of making it easier for people to vote, especially you know, if you're strapped for time and strapped for money. Uh, things like same-day registration and automatic voter registration can really make a big difference, as they have in Oregon that started that trend. So that's another positive. Um, so I, I, uh, I personally uh, volunteered both for the Florida uh, Second Chances, it was called the reenfranchisement, but also for the Beto O'Rourke. I'm from Texas, and I went down to Texas, my hometown of Fort Worth, and uh, I'm I don't know how it's going to go tonight. It, it, when I um, last heard, it was too close to call. But the fact that this unknown um, young man, very, very, as they say, authentic and totally against money and politics and for um, you know, the benefit of the rest of us, um, he uh, could beat Ted Cruz tonight, still last time I heard. So that is a huge, huge um huge change even if he doesn't succeed in the end so francis and pat these ballot initiatives in florida and michigan what they're bringing to mind for me is if we live in this country we're already you know we're lucky if 50 percent of people who are uh, you know eligible to vote are voting you know people who have been convicted of a felony largely cannot vote in most places like that um gerrymandering skews districts so heavily that um, a lot of times the people who end up in legislative bodies don't really reflect uh, the the populace, the, the voting populace. What is What has been the state of democracy in the United States up to now? Can we even say that we live in a democracy here? What it, what's your take, Pat and Francis? Yeah, I think it's really, you know, um, democracy has, has largely been for the privileged uh, in this country. I mean, we have that in this election with regard to Native people in North Dakota. Um, but I think that battle is not going to end tonight. You know, those organizers are going to continue to fight for uh, the right of Native people to um, be able to cast their ballots. I mean, there are all kinds of, you know, we call them dirty tricks, and, and, and we refer to corruption as if it's just a normal thing to be expected um but the you know the truth is these things are an outrage and and we need to get rid of them and and it is you know people on the ground and these these ballot initiatives you know raise the the issue so that most more people become aware of them um but the, the activists on the ground don't don't stop on um you know when the when the ballots are counted tonight they continue to do that organizing likewise on the border it's going to go on. One of the things that I find most encouraging is just in the last few years that there is, I feel, a movement of movements for democracy. And what I mean by that is, for example, Democracy Initiative, which represents um, about 70 organizations across from labor to the environment to food to uh, good government to racial justice. And they've come together and said, we can't succeed on any of these issues if we don't have democracy. And so they are working for these kinds of reforms that I've been talking about. So that, to me, is a real breakthrough, this notion of 
a movement of movements around democracy. And you ask, do we have democracy? Well, I, I was very ashamed and struck that, according to an international uh, group that looks at the state of integrity of democracies in the world, that about 50 countries rank better than we do on the, many of the integrity of our democracy questions. So we can do better, and that's why I'm so excited about the democracy movement. Absolutely. And another thing that comes to mind kind of as far as the state of democracy in the United States is in a lot of these situations, we just really kind of end up with coming to the ballot box and only having two choices, choosing between a Democrat and a Republican. Um, does that, does having a, this, this kind of system really lend itself to democracy and uplifting the voice of the people? What do you think? I would ranked love to see us more choices. Help. Sorry. Yeah, and I agree. We have ranked choice. Um, uh, sorry. Um, ranked choice voting is a really important piece of it. I'm glad you raised that. Um, we use that uh, here in Oakland in our mayor's race and a couple of other um, larger uh, races here. I think that's a that's a, uh, a big way to break apart that that sort of binary uh, situation that we're stuck in. Yeah, and the state of Maine has has passed that now. So that's uh, one break, another great uh, example for Maine's leadership because it was one of the first to implement public financing for campaigns. So Pat Humphreys and Francis Moore LePay, we have about two or three minutes left. So before we let you guys go, as we said, as I said earlier, you know, you know, the struggle for social justice doesn't end on just filling out a ballot every two to four years. There's many other issues that need to be addressed, you know, even, you know, between now and the next next election. We talked about some things already, like the importance of Florida restoring felons' right to vote. You know, this is quite an important issue in Florida. Can you, each one of you, tell us one or two issues that hasn't been mentioned during the course of this election cycle that bears worth mentioning and bears worth fighting for in the next months, if not years, to come? And I'll start with uh, Pat Humphrey's answer. Well, one of the things that's a big issue uh, here in the Bay Area is housing uh, and homelessness and, mm -hmm. and the relationship between the lack of, you know, uh, the availability of affordable housing and uh, homelessness. But also, you know, I have to say that Oakland is making great strides and there are numerous organizations working uh, on that in addition to the city government um, to actually getting people in into uh, secure housing situations, at, you know, much more so than a lot of other places. So that's um, something that will certainly be ongoing in my community here. And I would just second that, that I strongly believe that democracy as a political concept is always in danger if we don't embrace our economic lives as part of our democratic voice, that that uh, we need a democratic economic system. And right now, as, as you've, I know, uh, heard, that 80% of the gains in wealth since the Great Recession have gone to the very top. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, set us up for Donald Trump. And so we have to talk about economic democracy. What does that look like? What does it look like for all of us to have opportunity to build wealth? So once again, we were speaking with Pat Humphreys, who's a singer, songwriter, and activist out in the West Coast, and Francis Moore LePay, 
and who is the author of Daring Democracy, Igniting Power, Meaning, and Connection for the America We Want. So we want to thank both Pat Humphreys and Francis Morla Pay for giving us the time to talk about, you know, democracy during this, you know, very important moment in the country's history with these midterm elections. Thank you very much, both of you, for being on the show. Thanks for reporting the real news, CFW. Appreciate it. Mm Absolutely. So once again, you're listening to the Pacifica Radio News live coverage of the 2018 midterm elections. Once again, this is Oscar Fernandez along with Ernesto Arce, who's in Los Angeles with KPFK. And of course, my co-producer, Abby Roberts here in D.C. as well. You're listening to Pacifica Radio's live coverage of the 2018 midterm elections. Once again, this is Oscar Fernandez, along with Abby Roberts from WPFW in Washington, D.C. We're joined by Ernesto Arce from KPFK in Los Angeles. And right now, before we continue, we have some new headlines to bring to you at this moment. Democrat and member of the Laguna Pueblo tribe, Deb Halen, is projected to win New Mexico's first congressional district seat. She leads by a 24-point margin with 94% of the precinct reporting. She will be the first Native American woman elected to Congress. So that's... hmm. That's a big one right here. Right. W- WTOP in Washington, D.C. is reporting at 945 Eastern Time. A ballot shortage due to unexpectedly high turnout resulted in long lines and frustration at some polling places in Prince George's County, Maryland, on Election Day. Voters at Hyattsville Middle School, Upper Marlboro Community Center, and Brandywine Elementary reported waiting in line for up to four hours for extra ballots to arrive. As of shortly before 10 p.m. Tuesday, even after the additional ballots arrived, there were reports of hundreds of people still waiting to vote at Brandywine Elementary School. And in Alabama, 
the Alabama ballot initiative titled Recognize Fetal Rights, an amendment to the Alabama Constitution declaring that the state's policy to recognize and support the sanctity of unborn life and the rights of unborn children, including a right to life in all manners and measures appropriate and lawful, and that the Constitution does not protect the rights to abortion or require the funding of abortion. Yes, vote to amend the Constitution is leaned by 21.6 margin with 50% of precincts reporting, according to CNN. So this is still, this part here is still an ongoing story, even as we speak. Right now, we got a couple right of updates. Right now, we have Adam Sesus. Um, I'm sorry, Ernesto, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> no worries. We've got a couple of updates uh, on, in the national picture. Uh, Ted Cruz has been declared the winner in Texas, and the GOP has flipped Indiana and looks likely to flip Florida as well. So for an overview, according to the New York Times, of the 30 most competitive seats in the House, seven seats have been called for Republicans, with nine for Democrats. Fourteen more seats are too close to call. Democrats, of course, need to win 23 seats in the House to gain a majority there in the lower House of, of Congress. So, um, again, uh, just a couple of other uh, updates from the New York Times. Colorado's Senate seat will go to Republican Mitt Romney, and Jared Polis won the governorship in Colorado, making him America's first openly gay governor. And um, those are some of the updates, the latest updates that we have from the New York Times and Associated Press. And we are following up on several different news sources um, that are giving us the latest election information on this election night, um, helping out uh, Pacifica's national coverage of this midterm election 2018. Back to you, Oscar. Thank you very much, Ernesto. And with that said, as this election came to its final days, President Trump made it increasingly clear that the, this particular election was about fear, with race, racism, xenophobia and immigration as a target. So right now we are joined today, right now over the phone by Adan Jesus Marin, and who's the director of Make the Road Pennsylvania. He joins us over the phone. Adan Jesus, can you hear us? Adan Jesus, can you hear us? Well, looks like we may have, all right. Adan Jesus, can you hear us? Yes. All right, it's good to have you with us. Abby Roberts. Thanks for having me. So, Adan Jesus, I want to just start with a big question that's on everybody's minds, which is how does this huge caravan of 2,000 people, um, you know, migrating up north through Central America from Honduras, how does this have an impact on this election cycle? Well, I, I think that the reality is that it hasn't had the impact that Trump tried to make it have. Um, what we saw since the caravan started is Trump doubling down on racist anti-immigrant sentiment. But people can see that there are women and children that are desperately looking to save their lives and their children's lives. And there are a lot of people who can relate to that. And I think that what we're seeing in Pennsylvania and many places across the country is that Trump's racist double down, going all in, it's not panning out for him. Yeah, like I said before, you know, the, the election results are still coming in even as we speak. It's still not clear, you know, how what effect this truly had with the election results as a whole for the whole country. But is it right to say that, you know, this has been something that's been used as a target to provoke fear and racism within the electorate? Is that fair to say? Uh, I mean, definitely. Uh, when we look at uh, Trump's uh, threat to change the Constitution by fiat, 
um, and then to uh, threaten that he plans to round up people who are seeking asylum and put them in tent cities. Um, it, it, it's clear that that was an, an attempt to have an impact, and certainly it, it probably motivated his base. But uh, we're seeing his allies get defeated all across the country. Yeah, and one of the things that, you know, Trump brought up to stoke fear of, of, of immigrants during the last few days or last few weeks was the question of birthright citizenship as well. So it's not just people who are, who are miles away from the country or not even in the country. It's not just about undocumented people. It's about, you know, the question about citizenship for, for people and, you know, for people who are of, you know, Latino or, or of descent or any, of any other part of the world outside the U.S., and is it fair to say that, you know, this is not only just a smokescreen, but an illogical thing to question the birthright citizenship, the 14th Amendment? Because the question, you know, would, would be asked afterwards or should be asked afterwards is that if one being born in this country doesn't qualify you as a U.S. citizen, what does? Does it raise more questions than answers? Well, um I don't know if it raises more questions uh, for me as much as it makes clear what we've said all along and what he has confirmed that uh, really the roots of his ideology are fascism. Um, and we can look for the origins of uh, this type of attempt to make uh, people who are citizens in the country not citizens. It's something that Hitler did in Germany um, when he basically took away citizenship from Jewish people. Um, and the idea that he thinks that he can change the Constitution just by signing an executive order um, really says, I think, to all of us how dangerous he is and that there is no room to underestimate this threat. You know, as we see this kind of rise to fascism or at least glorification of it and it taking up more space in the U.S. government, it also makes me think of the roots of fascism in a lot of governments throughout Central and South America that have actually been put in place and supported by the U.S. government. Um, and, you know, certainly not least of these was kind of the 2009 coup that we saw in Honduras, which mm -hmm. the results of which are kind of these thousand multi-thousand people caravans coming up through the United States and being kind of forced to migrate. So um, we know that that was during a time when even we had Democrats in power here in the United States. So uh, what does what's the role of U.S. policy supporting fascism abroad? Um, what is the role of that in sparking kind of the the way that we're seeing migration today in this hemisphere? I mean, there, there's no question that the role of U.S. imperialism around the world, and especially in uh, Central America, is frankly unparalleled. Um, and it's not an accident that the majority of people who are in this caravan are coming from Honduras, fleeing a government that the U.S. put into power, um, taking violently taking out a democratically elected government. Um, we see the, the countries that are suffering the most all have deep, deep roots of U.S. imperialism and interference in uh, the, country, their, the country's history and attempt to influence their futures. Absolutely. Yeah, the juxtaposition of kind of like f people fleeing a fascist government and then coming here to a uh, fascist government that put their fascist government in power is 
um, quite an image, uh, I think, and I think it will really sheds light on the fact that this caravan has nothing to do with Democrats or Republicans, has nothing really to do with a 2018 election or anything like that, but is really a much deeper issue that is um, is happening throughout the world caused by the United States regardless of what party is in power. That's right. We truly live in complicated times with uh, U.S. imperialism's fingerprint on uh, almost everything yeah. around the world. Adam Jesus, this is uh, uh, Ernesto Arce with, uh, at KPFK in Los Angeles, California. Um, for us, uh, for many Californian voters and California residents, uh, what's going on right now with the, the birthright citizenship and the um, just the, the fear that's being stoked about this migrant caravan is deja vu for us because it, it takes us back to the days of Proposition 187 back in 1994. Mm -hmm. For those who aren't mm -hmm. familiar with it, it was one of the most regressive, most xenophobic, most racist pieces of, of legislation way before the uh, the Helms-Burton, or rather not the Helms-Burton, but the, I'm sorry, I'm getting it confused with the, um, the other House legislation that wanted to um, basically uh, require uh, public servants to uh, report undocumented immigrants, um, refuse medical care, uh, even emergency medical care, uh, you know, just did all kinds of terrible things. And we kind of, you know, once we're hearing about birthright citizenship um, being taken away and, uh, and, and you know, fears of, of these migrants that are coming across in masses that are here to take away all the things that we've worked so hard at. It brings back uh, bad memories of Proposition 187. It, it's been, you know, that's that's over 25, you know, that's 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. Why, you know, why are these issues coming? You know, they're cyclical, obviously. You know, we, we know, we understand that mm -hmm. there's a scapegoat that needs to be found at, during every election cycle. Um, you know, are are those of us on the progressive left, uh, social justice activists, the grassroots movements, are we losing? Um, I, I honestly don't believe that we are losing. Um, we've lost some ground, um, but we are uh, strengthening. And to me, um, one of the lessons of Prop 187 was uh, it was uh, horrendously regressive. Um, it was used together with uh, the three strikes uh, law to, to boost Republicans in California to get uh, Pete Wilson into power. Um, and I think that that is the same sort of energy that Trump and his allies are all around the country have been trying to capitalize on. But what they're missing is the real lesson that those attacks on our people and on the people in general actually gave birth to uh, a almost complete cultural shift in California where um, it was really the beginning of the end of the right-wing rule in California. Yeah, that's a, very, that, that's a very and, good point. Yeah, and, I, and I, I know that in Pennsylvania we're working very hard uh, to, to make that happen also here. Um, you know, um, Lou Barletta, who was running against uh, Senator Casey, not that Senator Casey is any champion, but Lou Barletta, actually started this uh, most recent wave that we're in of uh, sort of like a micro proposition 187 in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Um, mm. And now uh, it was running for uh, Senate with the blessings of, of Trump, obviously. And uh, it's hard to 
imagine him losing in a bigger way than we were able to make him lose tonight. Well, there, there we go. We've got a little bit of good news coming from Pennsylvania there. Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is what Adam Jesus Marin was uh, is referring to, and uh, it's good to see that one of uh, you know maybe one of Trump's uh, you know candidates has has uh, come up short uh, this evening. And again, um, just to recapture uh, what's going on tonight, uh, or a little overview, the Democrats do need uh, 23 seats in the House in order to uh, uh, gain the majority. They're currently up, according to the Guardian of, of the U.K., they're currently up 11 seats, uh, although Daily Cause has them up by 14. So we'll be keeping close watch over all these different um, uh, news sources, some of them independent, some of them um, not so independent, but all giving us um, you know, some of the official results um, and their projections for who might be winning uh, tonight. So we're definitely going to be keeping you all up to date on some of the uh, election results or most of the election results that are coming in tonight. So, Adam Jesus, I want to ask you, you know, tomorrow this um, all the Election Day fervor will be dying down. Election Day will be over. What can people do um, to support immigrants in the wake of this election, regardless of how it turns out? Well, what we've been saying here in Pennsylvania for the last two months is that we were going to march into the voting booth uh, today and that tomorrow we need to be in the street. And that remains true. Um, we, first of all, uh, need allies and accomplices to, to join us in the streets to fight against all these attacks. We also have to make sure that we don't have illusions that a lot of these Democrats are champion. Uh, in reality, we were going to have to fight for them to do what's right. Um, and there's really not much time for, for rest when we have a fascist president who's trying to take away millions of people's citizenship mm -hmm. and announce his plans to set up what are essentially concentration camps. Yeah. And so what else can people do other than marching? Like, how can we um, resist this, the deportation machine? How can we resist the, uh, the constant attacks on low-wage and undocumented workers? What, what else can we do? Um, I think, uh, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't say uh, putting, putting people's money where their mouths are. Um, there are organizations like ours, uh, Make the Road Action in Pennsylvania and Make the Road Action all across the country and many, many other organizations that are fighting every single day with very little resources. Um, and we need uh, much more support, frankly, than we've gotten. Oftentimes people donate to the very large uh, organizations, millions of dollars, in you know matters of days that never actually makes it down to organizing on the ground, which is where we've been able to prove that we can win. What about Adam Jesus? What about the? Um, there's a movement here in California among immigrant rights activists, and they're actually calling for the abolition of ICE, saying there's really no need for that arm of the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, you know, just let the federal government. Uh, take over immigration cases. There's no need for a separate agency that focuses almost entirely on law enforcement. We we absolutely are part <clears throat> of the movement to abolish ICE. Uh, we do not see them serving any legitimate purpose, um, and we believe that it is a human right to migrate. That sounds good. So can uh, I just that is, and that, is, that is certainly a. Uh, a struggle that we need people to um, put a lot of pressure on a lot of these Democrats who, like mm -hmm. Martin Luther King said, oftentimes our biggest threat 
are the moderates who prefer order over justice. Once again, we're speaking with Adan Jesus Marin, who's the director of Make the Road Pennsylvania. Adan Jesus, before we let you go, I just want to point out something here, you know, that I think is worth mentioning, that here we have myself, Oscar Fernandez, along with Ernesto Arce, two Latino voices speaking to a Latino guest about immigration and what it means to the United States. And you could, you know, struggle to find, you know, such a format here in, in in corporate media having two Latino voices. I don't know about Ernesto, but I am the son of Salvadoran refugees, and this is something that directly affects me and my family, and it's great to hear both Ernesto and both, you know, Adan Jesus, all, all three of us together, and I include Abby in this conversation as well as Latinos and talking about solidarity. Latinos. I'm in solidarity. Absolutely, and so it just, it just um, I think it also speaks volumes to the lack of diversity in corporate media as well, so Real briefly, um, Adon Jesus, we have about one minute left. So, can you, you know, give us your grade <laughs> now that we've gotten to the um, midterm election, end of the midterm elections? You know, your grade on the media coverage and the lack of diversity in corporate media when it comes to Latino voices on things that directly affect us, like immigration. Yeah, I, I, I think that. Um key that uh, we fight to have our voices heard more, especially in the media. Uh, Too often we have pundits who aren't part of our community, who aren't impacted by the attacks in our community, um, making declarations about what we're going through or what should be done. And we as a people have to rise up and make sure that our voices are directly heard. Thank you so much for that, um, Jesus uh, Adam, Adam Jesus Marin. And yes, I definitely uh, echo the sentiments that uh, Oscar Fernandez and Abby Roberts just mentioned. It's good to have all four of us, um, those of us who are Latino, those of us who are in solidarity with the Latino community. And it's great to have uh, uh, us covering coverage of our very own communities. I'm not sure if that even made any sense, but anyway. <laughs> it made sense to me. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's all that matters. That's right. Once again, we're listening to Pacifica Radio's live coverage of the 2018 midterm elections. Again, this is Oscar Fernandez and Abby Roberts here in Washington, D.C., along with Ernesto, Gos- Go- Ernesto Arce from KPFK in Los Angeles. And again, you're listening live, live coverage of the 2018 midterm elections. Ice, water frozen solid. Ice, immigration and customs enforcement. Ice, el yellow. Eva pasando el trapo sobre la mesa y está cuidando que todo brille como una perla cuando llegue la patrona que no se vuelva a quejar no sea cosa que la once again this is the 2018 live coverage from Pacifica Radio of the 2018 midterm elections and now we go to a field report from Arizona courtesy of Radio Phoenix in Phoenix, Arizona. In the studio with me is Floyd Alvin Galloway, freelance journalist and host of the Alvin Galloway Show on Radio Phoenix. And on the line, 
Glenn Miller, co-host of The Power to the People, another great program here on Radio Phoenix. Uh, he's also a member of the state committee representing Yavapai County, part of the Democratic Party. He's a statewide activist. And we're just discussing, you know, what we feel the major issues are for Arizonans who are going to be voting in the midterm election. Okay, number one issue um, affecting uh, this race, this midterm election, I would say is Donald Trump. How so? Well, Donald, I, I, you know, I'm an activist in the Yavapai County Democratic Party. And um, he has, the election of Donald Trump has stirred the Democratic Party throughout the state and in places like Yavapai County, which is represented basically by LD1 and, and Congressional District 4, uh, which are both very red districts. But people don't care. We now have, as we did not in the past, we have all three of our legislative district slots filled. We have two candidates for state house, one a candidate for state senate. We have the strongest campaign since Dan Kirkpatrick back, uh, you know, eight years ago for for Congress right now, and David Brill, who was who I we interviewed on our show, and um, it, it, people are there's greater numbers of people getting involved. Uh, Trump has just gotten people worked up. Wait, what was your number one? You know, I, the way Glenn put it, you know, I have to agree with him because um, the, he's a motivating factor in these midterm elections across the country. Um, the current occupant of the White House is uh, because of the rhetoric, the hate that is spewed from him that emboldens uh, racists uh, to take action to, to kill people, to send pipe bombs to uh, officials, uh, this person uh, is motivating a lot of people to get out and vote, and I hope it's enough to uh, change the makeup of the legislature here in Arizona and across the country, because here in Arizona, it wasn't always red. Uh, I remember when it was, you know, a little bit more blue, and you had uh, four African-Americans in the state legislature, and uh, it was, you had, a, uh, I believe, a Democratic-controlled uh, legislature time. So uh, it can change, and it's just the, about having the candidates um, that are, are sufficient and efficient to go out and uh, rally the people to vote for them. And I think you, we have those individuals uh, running for office now here in the state of Arizona. Uh, if you were to say one thing to people listening, whether it be here in the Phoenix area or nationwide, because this portion of uh, our broadcast is also being shared with the Pacifica Radio Network, what would you say to people um, who are maybe out there voting or maybe on the fence or what have you? I would say your vote matters. Every vote, mat every vote matters. 
some races may come down to one, two people, a hundred people. I mean, there's been, you know, there's uh, stories of different races across the country um, that you have to have a tiebreaker. So your vote does matter, and don't let anyone uh, try to tell you it doesn't matter. You can make an impact. What about you, Glenn? Well, it's the most important midterm, uh, maybe in my lifetime, uh, since the early 70s, when I first got involved in politics. Somebody who's emboldening, like Floyd, exactly what Floyd said, he's emboldening outright racists uh, with his rhetoric, and uh, we see the results. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for being here with us. Thank you. That was a field report from Radio Phoenix in Phoenix, Arizona. And on behalf of myself, Abby Roberts, and Ernesto Arce, who's in KPFK in Los Angeles, California, this is Oscar Fernandez here in Washington, D.C. And once again, you've been listening to live coverage of the 2018 midterm elections through Pacifica Radio, the Pacifica Radio Network. So I want to say say, say thank you to Ernesto and, and Abby as well, and to all our guests who've been listening to us. But don't go anywhere. we got more to come. So stay tuned for more live coverage of the 2018 midterm elections. So thank you very much. You're in tune to Pacifica Radio's national midterm election coverage. Let America be America again, reimagining the American dream. We invite you to support your local community radio station. Stay with us.
Greetings, I'm Askia Muhammad in Washington, D.C. with Mustafa Ali of the Hip Hop Caucus and joining us in Los Angeles, we have Ernesto Arche. You're listening. Yes, still here. You're listening to live election news coverage from Pacifica Radio. Joining us is Mustafa Ali, Senior Vice President of the Hip Hop, Hip Hop Caucus. As we move into this hour, Democrats are moving closer to the control of the House, but not yet. Democrats have so far picked up 12 seats in the House and lost two seats in the Senate. Democrats have also picked up two governorships. One of the important House races that was won by Democrats in New Mexico, the 1st Congressional District, has officially made history. Deb Haaland has been elected as one of the first Native American, as the nation's first Native American Congresswoman following her historic win in the state of New Mexico. With uh, Arkansas ballot issues require voter ID and amendment to the Arkansas Constitution requiring a voter to present valid photographic identification when voting in person or casting an absentee ballot and that the state issue free photo ID to eligible voters without one. A vote yes would amend the Constitution to require